had to undo everything I learned in 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 church. Man, that was a frightening space to stand in. It was yeah. a it was a very um, sobering, um, scary place. But gosh, what a freeing uh, what what a freeing space to be able to um, to stand in once 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 I once I did that. It was scary to get there. But yeah, I mean, I had to I had to unravel my my belief system. Welcome to the At Sea Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McRoberts. The question, what do you do, or what do you do for a living, is not so much a question about work, as it is a way we often work to figure out who someone is. It's a question of identity. And that relationship between who I am and what I do can be tricky, or even confusing. Too closely tying my identity to my work can lead towards a dehumanized, utilitarian view of my own humanity, while drawing a thick black line between who I am and what I do can lead to a kind of dysphoria. My guest on this episode is Carlos Whitaker, and Carlos has developed apps, he's written and performed songs, he's led an online weight loss program, he's taught courses on the proper use of Instagram and Snapchat, as well as having written two books, including his most recent book, called Kill the Spider, which we talk about quite a bit in this conversation. As I think you'll hear between Carlos and I, his process, his evolution vocationally, has been one in which he has relentlessly pursued a sense of place in the world, a sense of purpose in the world, at the cost of safe career steps, and even at times at the cost of safe religious conclusions. All the while, he invites his readers and listeners to join him in his process. Check it out. How was the trip? Uh, the road, the road was was exhausting, but really fulfilling. Um, okay. You know, I, I think, I think I've never I've never gone as hard as I have the last two months. Um, just I mean, obviously the book the book launch and yeah. all that stuff. But like in you know in March when I was calendaring it out, I was like, oh, no problem. Just right. you know, go out and right. then. Man, <laughs> Two two weeks ago, I was like, I think I'm going to quit. Like, I'm yeah. I'm done. Like, yeah. <laughs> so the idea, not, the, like the idea of the road and the work and like putting, you know, the sweat and tears, yeah. and, and it's oh, like, yeah. yeah, it's going to be great. And then it's like, yeah. it's legit, just like that. Like 20 yeah. minutes into the 35 minute workout, you're like, I might not oh, ever do this that, again. That is exactly what it is because it's like I'm going to make all my money like in eight weeks for the yeah. next four months. What That's a great right. idea. Um, <laughs> what a and great then, idea. He oh said. no. Yeah. Because I'm like, then I'm just going to like go fishing every day. And then, but no, I'm literally have to just like recover now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, you still like the road. You still like being out. I mean, like, cause, I, cause I, you've been like, you've been at, well, I mean, and we'll talk about this kind of the evolution sure, of, yeah. of what you've done, but like, You've been at it for a while. I mean, yeah. you, like it's been well over a decade and a half. Like you, like, yeah. and yeah. there's a lot of travel that's come with that. Yeah. Do yeah. you still like the road? You still kind of like no, no, really, you're I done. Don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it. Um, I, I love, I don't like getting to where I'm going. I love once I'm there. Um, like well, the I, travel I love, part, you just have you just you're done. You're, if you yeah, could, if you could man, like particle accelerate, your, yes, accelerate yourself if, from one if, town to the next, you'd be yeah. In. Star Trek, Star Trek. I'm Star like Trek. I I love standing on stages and and slinging hope uh, to people. But man, just the I mean, because I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm I'll, I'm speaking for 40 minutes somewhere, but it takes two days of my life in order yeah. to pull that off. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
that's the part that I'm just like, man, I gotta, fi- I gotta figure something out because I'm, I'm, I'm so exhausted. Now, of course, I'm saying this at the end of this right. eight, eight, eight week run. You know, yeah. talk to me in a month, and I'll be like, oh yeah, let's go to Norway. Fired up, ready you know? to go. There we go. Yeah. I just, I just <laughs> threw together another eight weeks. Totally. I know the feeling. Yeah. So if someone was to ask you, so uh, someone who doesn't know you, uh, you come off eight weeks, you run into someone at a coffee shop, let's say crema, let's just as yeah. a, like as an example, as a possibility, like you yeah. might be. Maybe possibly, hypothetically. Hypothetically. Uh, and they ask you how you're doing, you, you know, conversation, and then they ask you, what do you do? Which yeah. is, you know, we can talk about this later on too, in terms of like, you know, the, the what do you do versus who you are question, but... Uh, you know, so what do you do? How, how does Carlos Whitaker explain? Like, so w- what, what do you do? Well, um, I, I've, I've un, I've accidentally started saying something that has, has, has become just kind of my go-to. I tell people that I'm a hope slinger. Okay. That, that's what I, that's what I say now. That's like my job description. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hope slinger. And you're like begging uh, and, questions. You're, you're, you're answering questions with, with answers with, that beg more questions. Yes. That beg more questions. And, uh, and so, and, and that's what I do, man. Like I, I, I try to sling hope, whether it be in written form, whether I'm talking, right. whether I'm creating a, a, um, a, an app for somebody to, uh, everything I do has to be centered around, uh, delivering hope to people. And so, um, it's kind of what I do now, you know, right now it's, I, I'm an author and a speaker, you know, and I just, I hate that cause it sounds like I'm Tony Robbins, but, um, that, that's kind of what I, what, 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 what is paying most of the bills right now is, is writing books and selling books and standing on stages. Yeah. So. So you're you're a hope slinger. Someone digs into that, and and you talk about speaking. I mean, you used to play a lot of music. You, are you playing much music anymore? I uh, no, man. I haven't I haven't played a, a mu- well. Not that's not true. I do I do with my kids around the sofa. You yeah, know, right. like we're, but but I haven't I haven't um. Done but like music. vocationally, professionally, nope. it just is sort of. And was that a, That was yep. the last time. That was the last time. Two thousand. Well, actually, I mean, that's like I, I've, I've done it. <laughs> let's let's get to the yeah. truth, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've done it. I, I would say maybe one time a year, I am in some way, shape, or form forced to yeah, yeah. do some contractual obligation <laughs> to do right. it. But I am. I no. I, I probably have led worship or done music um, three times since two thousand fourteen. Is that a conscious choice? Like, did you feel yeah. like this shift in you, and you chased it down, or did it just kind of evolve and you ran with it? No, it was it was a shift that I I actually didn't chase down. It chased me down. I avoided it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I avoided it for six months. I avoided it, um, and then um, and then it 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 finally caught up with me, and and I had to um, I I had to face it, and um, and I did. I, I consciously went and I canceled eighty seven worship leading opportunities in two thousand and fourteen. This was in January. Uh, of 2014. And, um, and I sent all of them. I said, so again, deposits were going back the whole thing. And I sent all of them, um, emails saying, Hey, but I would, but I would love to come and speak at your event. Like if you, if you need a speaker and (laughs) I just, I could hear them laughing over email. They're like, no, we we're, we're fine. You know, uh, we wanted you to come sing. So it was, it was a very conscious and terrifying decision, uh, that ultimately paid off in the end. Yeah, and and you feel like you feel like you sort of maybe like, I don't know like rediscovered or you sort of like located yourself and and what you're wanting to be doing as a yeah. like a, more of like an orator and a writer. Yes, 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 yes. This is this is definitely um, uh, I think well, at least for this this season right now, 
um, where, gosh, man, it's, it's such a good space. I just love, I love to open up my laptop and I love to write and I love to, um, uh, I love to, I love to tell stories. I'm, I'm a storyteller. You know, when, yeah. when I, when I first shifted into, into communicating and most of the spaces that I communicate are at conferences or churches, um, I'd say in the last seven months, I've, I've suddenly surprisingly shifted to commute, to be communicating on like a lot of business stages, a lot of sales conferences, a oh, lot of just kind of random. I, we can talk about it later, but, um, but, um, there's, there, when, when, when you first move from like a one facet of storytelling being, you know, in, through song yep. to, to another through spoken word, yep. um, there, there was, I, I was in such a, such a sea of, of, um, like, what, what am I supposed to sound like? What, yeah. how do I do this? Yeah, yeah. Do I, am I supposed to preach like TD Jakes? Am I supposed to speak like Carl, you know, Judah Smith or am I supposed to, you know, what, like, what does it look like? And so it's funny cause I can go back to, um, watch myself in 2014 and I'm, I'm basically a ventriloquist. Like I'm, I'm trying to huh. like, I'm trying to be all, and I finally, like I'm you're trying to do year. one thing through the other thing. Like you're trying to like yes. be a speaker through the guitar and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then I'm trying to like sound exactly like this preacher or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speak okay. exactly like this guy. And I think it took about a year for me to really find my, find my space in no, you know, I'm a storyteller. Like yeah. I'm not going to get up and preach fire and brimstone and get a whole bunch of amens and this and that. No, like I'm going to tell stories and through those stories, there may be some points yeah. uh, that people can walk away with, but at the end of the day, my storytelling is going to be the way that I, I communicate, and that's what it's really turned into. And th- see, so this is kind of what I was what I was angling at a second ago when I was talking about, or well, not a second, a couple minutes ago, but we're talking about the, the sort of the the distance, or well, there's a distance and there's a connection between like who you are and what do you do. Like you don't want to like it's the way we kind of discover one another to some degree. Like so, tell me what you do, and I kind of dig around there and figure out who you are. But yeah, there, but there also is specifically for someone who's in the arts maybe specifically i would say it's just to some degree uniquely for folks who work in the arts there is this really close emotional identification with your work and mm. like you're a songwriter you're a communicator you're a storyteller right. etc and when you and letting go of a piece of that it's it's not just this like well i used to work in marketing and now i work right. in direct sales it's like i used to be a songwriter yes and a performer and now I am someone else because yeah. I am like that. That shift is like it's more personal. Do you feel a loss? Like uh, what we, you and I have a mutual friend uh, in um, Andy Osenga who's got a podcast called uh, I think it's called The Pivot, and okay. it's entirely about uh, like folks who have made a shift in some way, shape, or form in their vocational life and and all that comes with that. And mm. and part of what ends up happening in some of those conversations is like there's this sense of identity shift. And like you even talked about it a second ago, we're like, I'm trying to figure out who I am right. in this. Like I'm right. standing behind the guitar, but I don't feel like the guy who's standing behind the guitar. Like right. there's something else <laughs> happening. So is there a loss there? Is it, can you talk about that yeah. transition and sort of yeah. the, the letting go and the gaining in that process? Yeah, there, there, there is going to be a definite letting go. I mean, it, it is, uh, and, and a loss. I mean, there, there was such, I, I don't. I didn't realize how much identity I'd placed on title of high energy worship guy. Like right, that, right, I, right. I didn't realize that 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 would that that had become such a valuable part of who I was until I was no longer that. And um and man, you know, so I'd say it it took about a it took about a year for me to hmm. this is just for me for me to not um uh, mourn that. I mean, I, I was I was really mourning that. I would I would show up at an event. 
and I would sit in the in the pews or wherever and someone would be leading songs and singing and gosh man there was such a um, a morning for me because because what I did again like I made a conscious decision to like cut to sever that part of and this, this is more business kind of strategy but to to sever that that part of my um, my identity as far as like a platform um, right, right and and so so when I did that you know I I said no to every music opportunity in order for me to really kind of accelerate the the new identity that I've been yeah. that I found myself in and so doing that there was a loss about a year in the loss was less um, and and honestly now you know now now we're three four years into this uh, the the new side of kind of who I am my identity being placed in and yep. I, I don't I don't in any way shape or form miss um, miss that side of things I hmm. I've, I've found such a calling in what I'm doing now that Gosh, it, it almost seems like, man, like, why didn't I figure this out earlier? Why yeah. didn't I do this earlier? And so, um, you know, I mean, even yesterday, like at, at my church, you know, here, like in Nashville, like they've, it's the most incredible musicians and singers. And like, I run cameras at my church. Like <laughs> I'm, you know, I, 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 and I think three years ago, that would have been the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to run cameras during <laughs> point, a worship Point set. the camera at the dude who's doing the thing yes. you want to be doing. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And now, gosh, it's so much fun. And, I, you know, I'm just mm. – I'm singing into the microphone on my headset and the guy, the video director is like, hey, Carlos, can you stop singing? You know, like I'm, I'm just <laughs> – right. it's, it, it's, it's just it's, – it's shifted and it's changed and it's good. Yeah. But it definitely was hard. It's a, it's a, it's, there's, there's one more example of the ways in which the, the – Death plays a, a a very real role in in the process of flourishing as a human, and whether or not, yes. and the choice, and you get into this in your book, which we're going to talk to you about in a minute. But with, whether you choose to embrace it, like you're gonna die, like like these right. things are good, you're gonna die in every possible way. Like there isn't yep. a way in that death happens that you are not going to experience. Right. Yep. So whether or not you enter into that and embrace that, like you talk about, like you made, you severed. I mean, you, even the word sever, it's like, here's a decision yep. I'm making. Here's a thing I'm feeling. Here's a death that's starting that's yep. going to make room for a new life in me. I'm just going to cut this thing off now uh, yeah. and let, you know, like a, like an actual pruning and let new things happen. Absolutely. You know, whether or not, you know, I do that actually ends up being the question, the, you know, the matter of whether or not I enjoy the process or not, because right. I'm going to die. Do I enjoy the process of uh, of death in life? So right. you talk about pointing cameras at folks. You, you've talked about speaking music. You you do quite a bit. And you also just a minute, a minute ago referenced uh, like building apps. You do online courses. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, one of the like in terms of identity and work. Are, are you, I guess to some degree you, you may be clearer now, but like, have you experienced ever like a, a sort of like identity confusion of like which, how should I say it? Here's the question. Because you do so many things and you have like this sort of breadth of talents, which is that, which ends up being true of a lot of uh, more yes. creatively minded folks. Did you like, did you experience over seasons like sort of an identity confusion, not just between like you talked about, like between music and speaking, but like, like how to fit in app development and online course development or like, did you have kind of this, like here are my big rocks and then here are the small stones thing. Like, how did you navigate? Uh -huh. Like you have all these things you can do. What things are you prioritizing? How did you, how did you work that yeah. out? You know, I, I think the, where, where I had that identity confusion to be honest with you most of all was when I was working for the church so when, huh. when, I, when I was when I was like on staff at a local church was when um, I was more confused than I've ever been because I 
you know, I, I feel like people like creatives like you and I and, you know, I, I don't want to lump people into um, into one thing here. But but I, I feel like. Yeah, but it's get... so much. It's so much easier, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It really is. Let's just, yeah, let me just let's categorize so we can yeah, rattle all these. Categorize folks who we are. Yeah. 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 And so so but I, I think like like we get so screwed in 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 kind of the modern version of of what uh, modern evangelicalism looks like in in yes. in in a Sunday and during the week, because, you know, we, we're we're a lot of us are starters. Like we love to begin things. We love to start things. We love to. Um, and and there's I don't I just don't I look at kind of what church staff looks like and there's just. There, there's not space for me in there. And so like I had to be Carlos, the worship guy, period. And if I had any side hustle, if I had anything on the side, if I was, you know, trying to creatively express myself in some other way, like that, I was, I was almost punished for that. And so I, I think most of my confusion came when I was working at the local church because the, they just were not, I couldn't find one that was hip to me doing more than just one thing. Yep. And, um, and I think once I left, um, which is just, it's so sad because I, I think, man, like I look at, I look at Paul's ministry. I look at the, and I'm thinking that guy never stayed. Like he, he was like, he'd start something and he'd go somewhere else and he'd continue to pour into it, but he'd start something else and he'd start something else. And I don't know if, if he'd be welcome to work in a local church these days because he, he's just, um, it, there's just not room for somebody that thinks like that. Now, again, this is broad categorization. This isn't, I, I'm, I'm seeing more and more churches that are allowing people to come in and people to do that. Um, but it is, that is where I, I was most confused as yeah. to my role yeah. was when I was kind of trapped between the four walls of, you know, in a cube. Um, and what I ended up doing, um, which I wish I wouldn't have, that there was a lot of a, a lot of callousness and a lot of wounds that ended up happening um, because of that. And I think for the, for too long, I kind of, I, I kind of was like, well, you know what, Carlos works for the local church. I mean, the the global church, not the local church. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And and I, you know, I think those calluses have slowly but surely begin to fall off. And there's there's some fresh stuff happening inside of the local church for me again. Um, but most of that confusion, to answer your question, really came at that point. Now, you know, like like now, I I. I um I, I don't see there's there is zero confusion for me when it comes to you know I, I I may start a TV show next week you know and then an app the next week and I think again for me as long as I'm throwing hope for to people and and people at my platform my fan base have seen um have seen me do so many things that I think they're they're kind of used to seeing a lot come for me like hey what, what's Carlos going to come up with the next six months you know right. oh it's a weight loss program <laughs> you yeah. know it's which like, you've done which I've done and it's like oh yeah. well that, you know but again. Like that's just um, uh, it's it's in my DNA now and it doesn't feel weird to me anymore. So to some degree, like part of what you've been able to because you've done so many things, part of what you've been able to, I guess, like come to or recognize and communicate is that you're passing you on that like you are the like it's actually about Carlos Whitaker. Yeah. And it's not about Carlos Whitaker, the this out of the other. Like here, here are the ways I'm actually presenting. So you talk about you're, you're a hope slinger. And to some, like you, you almost have to have a tag to some degree in terms of answering because you have to have a business card. But ultimately, you're passing yourself on to the yes. world as best you can, and how that, like, how you do that is it. It is tertiary. It's secondary. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. and it can change so that you're not wrapping up your identity in. Uh, in a particular expression of who you are, which yes. gets back to part of, part of what you experience, what so many folks do in institutional religious settings. There's a really specific, uh, well, you know, and we'll pretend it's tried, tested, and true a way of uh, passing ourselves on in American, predominantly white American evangelical yep. Christianity. 
Yep. And this is how this is done. This is how you pass yourself on. Here are the metrics. Here are the here are the methodologies. And so you squeeze yourself into this thing, or there's not enough, or there's not enough room for you, or there's not a value for what you do, and you find yourself stuck in that place where artistically it really wasn't actually about you as a person; it was about you as a cog in a wheel. Yeah, and so good. Gosh, like, well, that's you know, and I I think to some degree, and this is I'm just joining you in the critique. Yeah, I think there are a number of spaces, uh, maybe an increasing number, maybe an increasing number of places in American evangelical Christianity, which there's a little bit more room for folks to. To be entrepreneurial, be creative, be flexible. Yeah. But if that's the case, <laughs> in a lot of spaces, <laughs> in a lot of spaces, it's just becoming it, it, it's showing up because it's the these are spaces that are in the death throes of yes. uh, like the tail end of you know uh, uh, what will ultimately have been a short history, and like they're trying to figure out how to stay alive instead of trying uh-huh. to figure out how to how to flourish. There just aren't a lot yes. of religious spaces in evangelical Christianity trying to figure out how to flourish you know, behind creativity and you yeah. know, follow the lead of entrepreneurship. It's like, well, how do we use this to keep ourselves alive? This sort of recess, like a resuscitation device yeah. so that we can get back to this sort of serfdom model that we've, that we've been, you know, rolling out since the 1940s. So you got squeezed by, by this in the same way that a lot of folks do. And I love the way you communicate uh, this, which actually leads me to, to your book. Um, yeah. You part of, part of you undoing a lot of that, uh, you you kind of you go through in this process uh, the book Kill the Spider, such a fun book, man. It's such a great book, and I and so I think a lot of folks are, are resonating with the same way that I am, which was, um, you are you're able to level a critique that is uh, that is couched in love, like you don't communicate mm. a disdain for evangelicalism. Sure. Uh, you don't communicate, but you certainly do have a point of critique. You don't, yes. you don't, you don't communicate a disdain for the church, but you certainly do have uh, yes. a point of critique. Yes. Um, in a broad sense, we're getting into getting this part, part of what you end up doing with the book. And there's a real specific moment I'll get to in a second, uh, is, is communicating a way in which you kind of had to leave your religious culture in order to your religious culture and almost everything about your religion. Yeah. In order to become whole yes. and human. I did. I did. I, I had to, I had to almost not almost I had I had to undo everything I learned in 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 church. I, I do. I did. Like I, I finally realized that I had come to a semblance where I had based I had grown. I had created an entire faith based on sermons that I had listened to and not based on what God had specifically told me. And man, that was a frightening space to stand in. It was a, it was a very, um, sobering, um, scary place, but gosh, what a freeing, uh, what, what a freeing space to be able to, um, to stand in once, um, once, once I've, once I did that, it was scary to get there, but yeah, I mean, I had to, I had to unravel my, my belief system. I had to unravel everything. I mean, I, like I had to start asking the simple, basic questions of, okay, I know that, I know that, 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 uh, you know, Andy Stanley preached this amazing message on, on the Christmas story, but do I really believe that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like do, do I, at the end of the day, like, is, is this something that I'm willing to wrestle with? And, um, and so, yeah, I, I've spent a lot of years, uh, specifically one, one, um, strategic week at a, um, at a, uh, experiential therapy center right. an hour outside of Nashville that really helped me do that and helped me um, kind of identify a lot of the lies that I'd been believing uh, and step into some truths. 
and when you get into this, uh, and there's a bit I want to get to about like therapy and Christian practice in general. Uh, and you communicate a little bit of the terror of doing this in, in the book about being able to say like, Hey, I'm not sure I buy any of this anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and to do so without, well, how should I say you, you know, you're working with a Christian publisher, you're turning, you're turning this book in. Do you sense that sort of pressure to, to like, as you're telling these stories to, to, I don't want to say like kind of glaze over, but like it's, sure. it's, it's the thing that like happens is like, sure. There's the song on Christian radio about the storm, but the, <laughs> but the third verse is going to be calm waters yeah, and we're yeah. going to get out of this thing. Yeah. You didn't like everything about your book says like, you don't want to necessarily give people the, like you don't want to dangle the lifeline right through the entire book. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like Christian publishers aren't exactly hip to like, we're going to drop this book that leaves people hanging and wondering if, if, what they believe. Right. Like talk about the tension of communicating a story that leaves you to some degree partially deconstructed right. and, and, and partially you know, having to let go of things, but also having to be kind of, you know, um, I guess Pass that into a culture that, in which certainty is is idolized. Like yeah. you're undoing all these things that you were certain about. The book yeah. is about like to a great degree, like letting go a lot of the certainty so you can become whole and actually experience something you might might want to call faith. Right. Um. Like in the meanwhile, the culture you're trying to preach to, trying to sling hope to, in this case for the most part really does value certainty. Can you talk about like, were there conversations between the publisher? Like how, how does that writing process happen? Like, are you nervous about certain stories? Give me some of that. Yeah. You know, it it was, um, I, 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 I luckily have one of the most incredible editors in, um, Carolyn and she, gosh, she, she knew. So I I told her the story before this even became a book. Right. So, I said, hey, listen, I think that um, I think that this is going to be my next book. Like, I, I think, you know, it's it's going to be my kind of with the story arc of me being at on site. And uh, but I said, I cannot write this book without with with, with sugarcoating it. Like, I, I can't. Um, I can't, I, I can't do that or I can't write this book. It's going well, to because that's what, that's the, the heartbeat of the, of the, of the narrative yeah. is like, here's all yeah. the stuff that I thought was, was real. And it's almost all sugarcoating. Yeah. So if you sugarcoat a story that's about getting rid of the sugarcoating, you lose. Yes. yes, you do. And so she, man, she, she was my, uh, she was my champion from the beginning to, to the publisher when, um, you know, when, when I, for when I first began to get into some drafts and, things like that. And there was, there was just like you anticipated or spoke of, there were some hard conversations of man, like this doesn't, this actually isn't resolving like we need it to resolve, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, um, we, we, we need the third verse that is going to talk about calm water, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny, somebody actually, I can't remember, there was one of the early Amazon reviews that came in, um, stated, um, I love this book. It actually left me with more questions than answers, which I think is a good thing. And 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 again, like no author would ever think to write a book that leaves people like, but I did. Like, I feel like that's what like I'm not trying to give you A plus B equals C here. You know, um I I wrote a book from a place where I was really raw and showing my pain and right. showing that this is how I got out of my pain. But let me go and tell you, 
this may not be the way you get out of yours. And this may not be the way that you're, you overcome these medicating behaviors in your life. No, like it's going to, it's going to take work. It's yeah. going to take you rolling up your sleeves. It's going to take your therapist is going to tell you something that might different than my therapist did. But at the end of the day, there are some, obviously there's common truths yeah. um, at the end of my book that, that I think um, people in the faith will, would all, you know, circle around and say, yep, yep, that that's right. Um, but it's still why, well, you know, it's still very loose. I, I would say, yeah. um, in again in the book to where I didn't want to tie it with such a tight bow uh, that people may think oh well you know this this isn't working for me so and you you know therapy plays this major role uh, and I want to I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about there's this great moment in in your book as you're getting dropped off by your family and you're yeah. describing to your family as best you can, like what it is you're about to go into. Although you really actually at the time had no freaking idea. Like there's just <laughs> right. no idea what you're getting yourself into. A couple things. Like I'd lo- love to hear you talk about like if, if you'd done uh, like what your experience with therapy had been before you talk a little bit about it in the book. Um, but you're, I think it's your, it was it your son. Is it Losiah who says like, how are you going to get fixed without Jesus? Yes. Yes. Which yes. is such a, I'll be honest with you, brother. Like it's such a great moment in the book and in the, in the fact for several reasons because, and this is part of what I, what I want you to get to. Yeah. There's the world of, of Christian practice and spiritual formation and what have you and Christian counseling. Yep. And then there's the world of therapy Yep. and, like I don't think there is a dividing line between those two things uh, at all. Mm. But the way they're talked about, the way they're treated oh, sure. in Christian culture is like therapy is a thing for folks whose spiritual lives are so jacked at the church yep. that like they don't know how to talk to God, so they're going to go do therapy. Yep. And there's yep. sort of this like you're so sick that Jesus can't help you. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. and so we're going to put you over, like, let you go see a therapist. But if you were just healthy enough as a Christian, we could probably work with you over here in a yep. religious setting. You dive all the way in, and it's like. Like you, there's this high value for therapy as therapy. This is yes. not a Christian thing. This is yes. therapy. This is about me as a person. Yes. Can you yes. talk about uh, th- that moment? Maybe even retell a little bit of that that moment of, be- of being in the car <clears throat> and yep. and having to deal with like, oh snap! Like yeah, I don't really know. Like how right. am I going to get fixed without Jesus? Which is part of the undoing of the narrative. And then talk about your experience of therapy. Yeah, you know, you know when when um I, I'm I'm glad you caught that because you know when when I did write that uh, th- there was a a, a a semblance of kind of a smirk that I wanted the reader to kind of get at is yep. um is listen like <laughs> I mean don't don't you just need to go listen to another sermon or a podcast on five steps to a better marriage in yeah, order bro. to pull this off like right. like why why would you need anything other than what the church and Jesus can give you and um you know at the time when my my and it, when my kid asked me that. Um, I, I really didn't know, but this, this place that I went to was not, was not a Christian place. Now there were there Christians that worked there. Sure. But here's even the most beautiful thing is that uh, it's, it's group therapy. So you're, there's 40 of us and we break into small groups of 10. So there's four different groups, small groups that we spend with, um, um, one therapist and my therapist, Barb was, um, she, she's not even a Christian. I mean, she's, she's as far from Christian as you could ever believe. And, and I did not realize how bad I needed that, like how bad I needed somebody that wasn't going to Jesus find me the way I had been yep. for for so long. And so um, it was, man, it, obviously um, in the book, I unpacked just the beautiful way in which my faith was restored through somebody that has no faith. 
Okay. Uh, when I say no faith, she's got plenty of faith, but not in the faith that I I have. Right. Um, and and that that I would be able to come back to a place of 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 being whole in Jesus because I was taken on a journey hand in hand with somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus. And there was just something so beautiful about that, um, that, that still I'm not lost on. And so, um, yeah. so, th- you know, that, that, that happens. And, you know, my, my dad even tells, you know, tells me a story on the way to onsite. That's, that's pretty Jesus centric, but then also not, you know, and, um, and I, I, my relationship with therapy after that was, um, was probably, I probably realized even more that, um, I, it doesn't need to be a quote unquote Christian therapist that, that helps you along as one of the sages in your journey as one of the, you know, um, I, yes, utterly believe that, um, that Christian prayer inner healing ministry is, is not only valuable, but is necessary. And it was very necessary in my journey. Once I got home from uh, onsite, I found an inner healing place and somebody that was like a ninja with prayer, this 78 year old man who like, (laughs) this is kind of like his thing. But, but what you said is so valuable because, because the, the, the clinical therapy community and the inner healing communities, um, they, they, there is a dividing line and, and even, even Christians that are in the clinical therapy community, they, they think that the prayer people are crazy and the prayer people think that the inner healing people are, or, or that the clinical, you know, uh, psychology and therapy people are crazy. And, yeah. and man, if we could just get to a space where they could coexist together. Yeah. Oh man, that, that could be such, uh, and, and it's what I had to do on my own. I had to piece that puzzle together on my own, yeah. but I'm glad I did because I need both sides of it. Yeah, in some ways, a little bit like the divide between the, the you know clinical medicine and like the folks who are more homeopathic, and it, yes. and there's this like I never go to the doctor. It's like, well, you oh, should yeah. go, to the and it's like, well, no. How about we can do both things? And how valuable a thing it might be? Imagine that to live into a faith practice that is not dependent upon or defined by the way in which I believe. In other words, like right. my experience of uh, of the divine is not the divine. The, the, and and so it's if if my faith practice isn't predicated on or defined by the way in which I believe, how valuable thing that might just be in right, order to actually right. call it a faith. Man, um, so good. So one of the things, I, uh, actually, a little bit of a break here. Uh, we're at thirty three minutes. What time do you need to be out of here? Uh let me let me look here. Hang on, I got a. I probably I I probably have five or ten more. Okay, great. So let's yeah. do this. I, um. I want to chat if you're cool with this. I want to dive a little bit into because like we're going to push the book and all that, but I want to talk a little bit about yeah. about race and online yeah. communities. Yeah, man, let's do it. So um, last this is this is yeah, it was last year. Um, you are you're really active, uh, redemptively active uh, through a lot of your uh, social media channels and your. And specifically on Instagram, watch this uh, this thing play out where you posted um, a piece about um, uh, an image about uh, Philando Castile. Yes, and um, there there hadn't been on your page like a whole ton necessarily about like about race relations and the police, et cetera. And then there was this moment which everyone was experiencing. Well, not everyone. A lot of us were experiencing. <laughs> Uh, where like there are these questions being asked and you, you dove in with this image about Philando Castile and about, uh, about justice and about his relationship with, with, with law. Um, 
can you talk? I, I want to go in through the doorway uh, 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 to, to talk about you as a person of color in a context in which there's like the vast majority of the audiences you end up in front of are white evangelical or white mainline Christians. Yes. And yet you have the, like you entered into this place. I, I don't know if you want to call it necessarily like a privilege or responsibility to kind of tell as a storyteller to tell a story that is deeply critical of white evangelicalism of white culture. Yeah. Um, let's, can we start with that post and the interactions you had and then talk about your experience as, as someone who has access to white evangelical, white mainline Christian culture, dealing with issues of race and trying to do so responsibly and redemptively and trying to take people with you. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, when the Orlando thing happened, um, I, I think the reason why I finally, it wasn't from pressure from the outside or people telling me, you know, I've got great friends of mine that are, that is what they do. They're activists and they, you know, yeah. um, that, that's, that's never felt like part of my story or part of my journey or kind of who I, um, but, um, more and more living in, in the South, um, as a, as a man of color, I was, I was having to face situations that I just knew none of my white friends were facing. Right. Um, and when that happened, I, I did, I finally said something and man, you know, it was, it was, it was so funny because, um, here's the thing, exactly what you said is right. I, I stand in front of a majority of, you know, evangelical white middle-aged soccer moms. And that, that is kind of, that, that's who follows me. If you look at my, even my Twitter following, like, like it's soccer moms, it's 35 year old soccer moms in minivans like that. That's kind of the world I, I live in. And suddenly, um, it was almost as if it's almost as if people were shocked to realize I wasn't white. You know, that, that was, that was the <laughs> right. first thing. That, that, that was, was exactly my experience with like that, folks interacting with you on Instagram was like, y'all, do you not know? Yes. Like this, he's this, not this, a white guy. This I is know, not a white it, man. It was so funny to me because suddenly I was like, my jaw dropped and I was like, oh my gosh, they are so comfortable with me. Yes. This is, this is why I get booked at their conferences and churches, which listen, Hey, don't stop booking me. I love you. I love you guys. But at the end of the day, I'm not white. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I I actually do exist in in a different world than you do. So although I live in the suburbs of Nashville, Tennessee, my entire most of my neighborhoods white. My the people I travel with are white. The people in the Delta Sky Club, as I go from here to there as a diamond on Delta, are white. Like I'm not. And so I finally got to the point where I had to you know step into and express. Um, uh, who I am and and what I what I have to deal with and the, I think I think number one that what I want to say is I was blown away at I think people were surprised I wasn't white and um but but I say that but then then again I look at some of my friendship circles even and sometimes I'll be in um you know a couple drinks in and me and my buddies are on a fire and we're having a good time and then suddenly like the jokes turn racist yep and and they're 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 looking me square in the eyes telling me racist jokes and it's as if they don't see me and my skin color yeah. and and i'll have to remind them hey 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 this is actually offensive and they're yes. like oh my gosh like sorry and they'll say things like sorry carlos like i just forget that you're not white like they'll oh, say man. things like that it's just the worst it's just the worst it's not the worst you know and so like uh, what i've had to come to is okay I actually I have to take some some responsibility for this and i need to i need huh. to realize that that i have i have not 
I've allowed that to happen and, and I really mm. have. And so I have to actually start saying things, stating things that are going to be unpopular um, to a lot of people. Probably the majority of my uh, tribe is not going to be comfortable with me speaking this way. Hmm. Um, yep. But but it, that was the beginning for me of I think what's ended up happening is I've been able to build a bridge uh, between kind of that white evangelical culture that may not be looking at race relations in the, in the way that they would have without me. And yeah. so, so now I so kind you of, kinda, you feel there, there's sort of like as a bridge builder, I mean, you, you have, it seems to me a responsibility or you feel a kind of responsibility to, I don't want to say necessarily both sides per se, as if there are sides sides, Yeah, but I mean, you feel, you feel a responsibility to tell a story of a, a Latino black male. Yes. But to do so in a way, and maybe I, you can help me with the wording of this, but to do so in a way that like takes your white sisters and brothers with yeah. you, like, yeah. like, can you dig into that sort of tension? Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, uh, there are times when you have to choose, right? There's times you, you're yeah. going to disappoint somebody. Yeah. How's that, how's that get worked out? You know, it, it, um, it, it has any disappointment that I've, that somebody has had in me because of issues we disagree with. I, it's just kind of what I do. I always, because what ends up happening is things escalate on social media really quickly. Mm. And so, so what I do is I send my phone number in a direct message or a private message to whoever this conversation is escalating quickly with, um, or it could be through email. And, and I'm always the one that says, I, I will not have this conversation over a digital form with you. Like we, I want to talk with you about it and I'll go and tell you, hmm. I've probably given my phone number out. I don't know. 50 times maybe. I mean, that's just a guess, but hmm. I've had two, two people call me two because, because really? at the end of the, yeah, that is a terrible ratio, man. Isn't that horrible? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, people, when they really sit back and look at, at, at what it is, they, they deeply believe they don't want to talk out loud about it because when you say, when you say something out loud with your lips and it comes out off your lips instead of off your fingertips, yeah, man. it suddenly is a lot uglier hmm. than when it comes off, uh, off your fingertips. And so I want people to say things with their lips. I want people to say things out loud. And, um, something else that, that, that I, that I had to do is, is realize that I had been for way too long relying on the, not relying, identifying more on my Mexican heritage on being, my mom is from Mexico. See, my father is a black Panamanian, but he also is from Panama. And if you, if you look at the country of Panama, uh, they're, they're just, they look like brown Hispanics. They don't, they're not, they're not black. They're not African. Well, again, I had, I had never, it was almost like a safe space for me because I was like, hmm. oh, I'm Latino, I'm Latino. Like my mom's from Mexico, my dad's from Panama. So I'm going to relate as a Latino. But the problem is, is the world, the, the, the cop that pulled me over, you know, three times and three weeks going yep. down white, white bridge road, yeah, um, exactly. was not, was not seeing me as a Latino. He was seeing me as the truth of, well, actually my dad may have been born in Panama, but if you go to ancestry.com and he does his DNA test, he was only one generation in Panama. Before that it was the Cayman islands. And before that it was Nigeria mm -hmm. and I'm African that there is African in me and I have to live as that. And so, um, so what I had to do out loud as well on my social media platforms is begin to live as a black 
Latino, as a black man. And that made, again, that made a lot of my followers uncomfortable because they never heard me say that or saw me as that. And suddenly they're like, oh, Carlos is going to be another one of these loud black guys, you know? Um, and it's like, <laughs> another well, one of these loud black guys, these, you know? And it's like, I, I, I say that because that's an actual email that I got from, from a fan, quote unquote. Oh my mine. gosh. Um, now, now I, I, I say that with the premise that he was actually one of the, two, one of the two that called me. Oh, wow. um, okay. Well and, then that's and, a nice little yeah, story then. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. It, there, there's a nice little bow there. Um, but uh, man, we are living in, it, it's tense times, man. And it is, um, it's not time for us to be quiet. It's time for no. us to get loud. And, and, um, and so, you know, that, that's what I'm doing. And, uh, it's, it's been a interesting road the last year and a half of that. Well, so there's a great uh, bit from a, a, a poet named uh, – I'm going to get her name wrong here. I don't, I'll fix it later on. But sure. uh, Naira Wahid, who uh, who basically writes that like you just don't trust people who who don't see your color because by not seeing your color, they're not seeing you. They're just yeah. not seeing you as a whole person. And part of, part of why I'm really valuing about what you're doing and what you're doing with the book is – you're, you're repositing yourself as someone who has, if I can go be so bold as to say, has been sort of uh, maybe even pigeonholed uh, yeah. as uh, with particular uses uh, and like a, a particular way of being in American evangelical Christianity and saying, no, yeah. you have to treat me and see me as a as a as a whole person yeah. that, that like. You have to see my blackness. You have to see my brokenness yeah. uh, in order to see me as a whole person. I, I think yeah. I think what you're up to with the book is great, and I, I look forward to the fruit it bears over the course of years. Yeah. So, thanks, uh, thanks, thanks so for much. spending you some know, time with me this morning, man. No, it was it, it, it's so good, and um, you know I really pre- appreciate even you kind of bringing you know this side of the conversation up because it it is. At the end of the day, it, it, it was such a massive risk for me because I, I just wanted to put a little caveat at the end of the, this yeah, last conversation because, um, because again, my identity. Okay, go, going back to even the high, my my identity was Carlos. If if I looked at it and was black and white and totally honest, huh. Carlos was a Carlos is a brown guy that white evangelical churches feel safe to bring in. And sometimes say, "Hey, we brought in the we, we hey look look at our stage we we've yeah. got we've got a high energy brown guy mm. jumping around on stage singing high energy worship songs, um that and and he sounds like Chris Tomlin so things are great you know mm. and and I had to I had to look myself in the mirror and and really kind of say okay Carlos like it's <laughs> it's time to step away from this and you're you're not going to be near as safe anymore if you start to have this conversation but. I, I think again in the end that's what you're supposed to do. So, so it was a scary space to be. Um, but uh, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, I, I think any as is shown in the book, I think um, it's a it's a space that now you know this book is uh, just bringing a lot of freedom to a lot of people, a lot of healing to a lot of people, and um, I I think this kind of the message of the book is going to be really the next five years of my life, really helping people killer spiders. I love it, man. Seriously, appreciate your time. Appreciate you. Yeah, dude. Keep it up. Absolutely. I'm glad we got to do this, man. Absolutely. Talk soon. Bye. All right, bye. And thank you for listening to this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you'd like to follow up with Carlos Whitaker, you can visit him at his website, which is very simply carloswhitaker.com. Two T's in Whitaker, W-H-I-T-T-A-K-E-R, carloswhitaker.com. From there, you can research not only the new book called Kill the Spider, which is definitely worth your time to read, but also the book previous to this, which is called Moment Maker. 
Anything you're looking for with regards to the Atsy podcast can be found at atsypodcast.com. And if you want to find out who I am, you can ask me what I do and we can start there. Or you can visit justinbrookroberts.com and I will find you there. Also, and lastly, thank you so much if you're one of the folks who support this podcast as a patron. If you'd like to join the small army of folks who make this possible, you can visit us by visiting Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and searching my name, Justin McRoberts. Until next time.